Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Well, good morning. How are we? Everybody good this morning? It's good to see y'all. So today's a, a special day. And the reason why it's a special day is because in a couple of days, it's going to be Valentine's Day. So men, I'm just going to go ahead and give you your forewarning right now. You need to be ready. I'm, I'm dressed for Valentine's Day, but I also want you to know that I'm also dressed for God's team. So, so I, I just want you to know, in case anybody doubted, uh, First Baptist Belton's team this afternoon is going to be Kansas City Chiefs. So we're going to say, go Chiefs. <clears throat> It's fun, and in case you haven't joined the, the bandwagon now, it'd be a good chance to, now's your chance to, to do that, so I'd encourage you to be a part of what God's doing this afternoon. It's gonna be fun. <clears throat> Any history buffs in the room? People who like history? There's like four of you, that's it? There's only four of you that like history? Yeah, a few of you. So, you ever heard of the Enigma machine? Yeah, it's a pretty cool deal. So. It's a famous machine used by uh, the Germans in World War II. And what's really, really cool is that it was able to transmit coded messages amongst the the German soldiers so that they could, you know, communicate and they could plan their attacks and different things like that. And and the unique thing about this machine is is that it it allowed for them to code billions and billions of messages quite frankly, making it almost impossible to figure out where they were going to be, where they were going to strike next. And then there was this movie, uh, as a book was actually written prior to the movie, but a movie came out a couple years ago, and it was called Breaking the Code. Did you see that movie? It was a really good movie. But in that movie, it talks about Alan Turing. Alan Turing was a unique figure who was brought in, he was an Englishman, who was brought in to, to figure out the Enigma machine. And so he actually created a way to break the code, hence the, the name of the movie, Breaking the Code. And so he actually breaks the code, and many would argue that that really turned the tide of World War II. Because of that, they were able to break the code, figure out where the Germans were gonna be, and show up and defend, and put an end to their, to, to, to their attack or whatever it is that they were doing at the time. So it was a key point in the winning the war. Pretty cool, huh? Well. The word for enigma is kind of neat. The word for enigma means a person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, or difficult to understand. The word for enigma means a person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, or difficult to understand. Now, as you know, in this series, we've been asking the question, who is God? Who is God anyway? Missed all of the culture, all the things, all the messaging that we receive. Who is God? Who is God? And quite frankly, we're asking that question because in many ways, God is an enigma. There's a level of God that is puzzling, mysterious, and somewhat difficult to understand. We actually even said that in, 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 week, in week two. Uh, we talked about the fact that God is infinitely incomprehensible. Do you remember that? He is infinitely incomprehensible. It doesn't mean that God cannot be known. It just means that he will never be fully known. And that's a good thing. Remember, we talked about that's a good thing, right? Because if you knew what God knew, then what does that make you? That makes you God. What does that make him? 
less than God, right? And so the beauty of this is that, that, that God being infinitely incomprehensible is that in, between the gap between you and me as limited beings and God is he bridges the gap. He bridges the gap. He is, in fact, infinitely incomprehensible. Now, while God, while God is a bit of an enigma, mysterious, somewhat puzzling, and even somewhat hard to understand sometimes, understand this morning that there are no enigmas to God. There's nothing that's confusing for him to understand. There's nothing that's puzzling. There's, there's no mysteries to God. There's no math problems that he can't solve. There's nothing in your life that, that God is going, well, I don't know what I'm gonna do with that. There are no enigmas to God, for he is omniscient. For God to be omniscient means that he is all-knowing. There is nothing on this earth, in this universe, that would even include your life that God is not intimately aware of. In fact, in fact, God is perfectly aware of everything on this earth. He's omniscient. Now there's four truths that I wanna share with you this morning about God's omniscience. Four truths. Number one, God's knowledge is perfect. His knowledge is perfect. In the book of Job, one of Job's friends who's attempting to help him, I think we would argue, I don't, can't really figure out what the motives of Job's friends are in the book of Job, but Nevertheless, he's speaking to Job in the midst of Job's misery, and and in that particular piece of this relationship, he says something that is very, very, very true about God. Here's what he says. In chapter 36, verse four, he says, for truly, speaking on behalf of God, for truly, my words are not false, for I am one who is perfect in knowledge, and I am with you. So here, here, what, what, what we're seeing about God, what is true about God, is a little bit of what we talked about last week. Remember that God is omnipresent. God's with us always. There's never a place that you can run or hide. There's no facade that you can, that you can portray that God doesn't see right through it. God sees all of it. He's with you. He's present in your life. But here, what we also see is that while he is fully present, he is all also fully aware There's nothing about your life that you can hide. God knows everything. There's no place that you can run. There's nothing, there's no secrets that you can hide. God is fully and perfectly aware of it all. David speaks to this in Psalm 19, verse seven. Psalm chapter 19, he writes that the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect, without any mixture of error. God's instruction is perfect. Perfect. He goes on, he says, it revives the soul. He says that the testimony of the Lord is sure. It has the ability to make wise the simple. So because God's knowledge is perfect, so too is his instruction. His revelation that we have to us in this book is perfect, David says. But number two, God's knowledge is also eternal. God's knowledge is perfect, but it is also eternal. In Psalm 33, verse 11, this is what David writes. He says that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Wow. 
God's word stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations, which simply just means that the counsel of the Lord and therefore his knowledge are eternal. There was never a beginning. There's no end. Isaiah captures this very well in chapter 40. When Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel, he's speaking of the coming destruction that awaits them. And, and, and what he tells them there is that God's word in the midst of all of it is eternal, that it is trustworthy, that they can take it to the bank, in other words. It is fully perfect, it's eternal, it's trustworthy. And here's what Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 6. He said, I heard a voice that said, cry out. Isaiah responds back to God. He says, what shall I cry out? What should I speak, in other words? This is what God says. He tells Isaiah, all flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are like grass. For grass withers, the flower fades, but hear this, the word of the Lord will stand forever. It has no beginning, it has no ending. In 2,000 years of history, nobody's ever been able to, pl- to, to prove this thing false. That's why we stand on it today. That's why we live by it today. Because it's sure, it's perfect, and it's eternal. You and me, we're temporary. God is eternal, and so is his word. Number three, God's knowledge is infinite. God's knowledge is infinite. I love what David writes in Psalm 147.4. Here's what he says. He said, God determines the number of our stars. He gives to all of them their names. He says, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. What David is helping us see is that God's understanding of the universe is beyond measure. It's unlimited. It has no bounds. God's knowledge has no bounds. It's defined by no limits. There's no boundaries or barriers to his knowledge. In World War II, unlike the allied forces, God never is left to try to figure out a code. There's never a moment in time where God is scrambling to figure out, well, what are we going to do next? How are we going to do this? He knows it all perfectly well. It's infinite. It knows no bounds. His knowledge is perfect. His knowledge is eternal, and it is limitless. Uh, any, any puzzle folks in the house? Y'all like putting together puzzles? I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, I can't stand to do it. <laughs> I hate puzzles, but my wife loves them, so I love them. You know what I mean by that? You're following? Listen, I, I don't like puzzles, but I was doing some interesting research, and, and here's what I found. Did you know that you can spend 600 bucks and you can purchase the world's largest puzzle. You know how big that bad boy is? You ready for this? 60,000 pieces. 60,000, let me just say that again. 60,000 pieces. I struggle with a 25-piece puzzle. That's the, that's the level of patience that I have in my home. I know. 60,000 pieces. When you put this bad boy together, you know how big it is? It's eight feet tall, 29 feet wide. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Now, now hear me. There's never a moment where God sits in the debris of 60,000 pieces of a puzzle and goes, what are we gonna do next? 
and here, here's what's even better. He doesn't even need the picture of the box. <laughs> right. right. There's never this moment where God looks at your life or my life or the life of our church or the life of your kids or your grandkids, your parents, your grandparents. He never thinks, hmm, I wonder how this is gonna work out. God's omniscience assures us that he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he is gonna finish his good work in you. He never has to wonder. He's never surprised. When you get that diagnosis, God never goes, well, I didn't see that coming. When you hear the news, God's not thinking, whew, whoa, how am I gonna get him out of this mess? God's omniscience assures us that he sees you, knows you, loves you, and he's with you. Wow. Number four, God is the source and therefore the distributor of all knowledge. God is the source and therefore the distributor of all knowledge. Solomon, the wisest man who's ever walked the planet, here's what he writes Proverbs 3, 19, he says that the Lord by his wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds drop down the dew. God is the source of all knowledge. We've already said that God didn't need a mentor when he created the universe and everything in it. When he was thinking about the human brain, the human body, he, he didn't need to go outside of himself to figure out, well, how in the world am I gonna do this? No, he just did it as an expression of himself. God didn't need a mentor. He didn't need anything outside of himself. But not only that, God never discovers anything. Did you know that God doesn't learn? He doesn't need to learn he already knows everything. It's profound. God doesn't need to learn. In fact, all knowledge begins with him. He's the source of it all. And because, all, and because he is the source of knowledge, he's also the distributor of all knowledge. He's the distributor of all knowledge. In the story of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, maybe you remember this, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, right? And he's trying to figure out, how do I interpret this dream? And trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of all this. He brings in a bunch of interpreters. They all get it wrong. Ends up costing them their lives. And then he hears about this guy named Daniel. So he brings in Daniel, right? The hand of the Lord's on Daniel. Brings in Daniel. He says, Daniel, can you interpret this dream? So what does Daniel do? Well, he rightly goes to the source and the distributor of all knowledge. He goes to God. And guess what? God gives him the wisdom. He gives him the knowledge. And here's what Daniel has to say of God after, after this being the case. Here's what he says in chapter two, verses 20, verse 20. He said, blessed be the name of God forever and, forever and ever, <clears throat> to whom belong wisdom and insight. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within him. Wow, Daniel reveals something that's true about God's nature, that all the answers to the most mysterious things on the earth reside in him. He raises up kings, he removes kings. 
He raises up presidents. He removes presidents. All knowledge, all wisdom belong to him. And because that is true, he is also the source of all knowledge as well. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. His knowledge is perfect, it's eternal, and it's infinite, and therefore all knowledge begins and flows from him. He's the source of it all. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, but I find this kind of hard to get my head around. Maybe, maybe in this series you felt that way too, right? I'm studying these things and I'm, I'm asking the Lord, okay, Lord, help me get my head around this. Help me fathom who you are, help me fathom your nature. And I think it's really hard. And I think the reason why it's hard is because whether we want to admit it or not, we are limited. We are limited in our knowledge. We're limited in what we know. And this is the reason why we read books. It's the reason why we learn. It's the reason why we study math and science, right? Because we're trying to learn. We're trying to know what we don't know. We're trying to grow in our knowledge, get our minds wrapped around God and who he is. We wanna know what we don't know. And it's kind of interesting because this all goes back to the garden. By the way, did you know it's almost, almost all the answers, the toughest answers to the world's problems all go back to the book of Genesis. It's really interesting. And so if you go back to the book of Genesis, here's what you're gonna find. It's really, really, really cool. <clears throat> so God gives Adam free reign. Right, God creates Adam. You see chapter one, he's the creative order. God creates Adam and he gives him free reign. He says, look, Adam, you can do whatever it is that you wanna do, right? Work, keep the ground, gives Adam that responsibility to do those things. Eat from any tree that you want, except for one. In fact, here's what God says. He says, Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, guess what? You shall surely die. Just after God gave his single commandment, Adam has the opportunity to name all the animals. He gets to exercise some dominion and exercise some authority. So he's exercising all of that by naming the animals. It's during that process that God goes, man, it, it's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? Causes Adam to go to sleep, takes a rib out of Adam, creates Eve, and gives Adam a helper, a companion, a partner that is fit for him. Now, if you fast forward to chapter three, specifically in verse two, the plot kind of changes. And here's how the plot changes. Satan enters the scene. And what does Satan do? He begins to ask Eve a question. He begins to question Eve, and here's what he says. He says, Eve, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Are you sure that's what God said? And here's what the woman said in return. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, what the serpent is doing here is he's questioning the authority and the integrity of God in her life, in Eve's life. But notice how Eve responds back. What does she do? She uses God's word as a weapon against Satan. She said, no, 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 this is what God said. I know that's what God said because 
This is what God said. This is, God said, to I can't eat of that tree. And then Satan asks again, oh, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. How will you be like God? You will have the knowledge of good and evil. You gotta keep in mind, up to this point in history, up to this point in history, man only knows what is good, right? Because God declares it so, and he created the light. He called it good, he created the day, he called it good, right? So Genesis chapter one, if you track through the chapter, what does God say? And it was good, and it was good, and it was good. It was only until God realized that Adam had a missing link that he said it's not good. So at this point in history, all they know is what is good. They had not been revealed what is bad at this point. And so here the serpent tempts them with the idea that they can become like God. They can know good and they can know evil. In fact, they can even be their own good, their own God. After all, God can't be trusted. He's withholding something from you. He has something that you want and that you need and he's withholding it from you. So the serpent tells them, do you want to be like God? Here it is. You want to have the knowledge of good and evil. See, you can become like God, for you will know what he knows. And what we know about knowledge is that knowledge is power. And so if you know what God knows, then you won't really need him after all. See, this is confirmed in verse six. See, this is what, what happens in Genesis chapter three, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and don't miss this, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know, the results of this, of course, are maddening. In chapter three, verse 23, the text says, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and he cast in <clears throat> and at the east of the Garden of the Eden and he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. From this moment on, this reach for omniscience to be all-knowing, the results of that eternal separation from God. All for what? Because they wanted to be like him and thereby knowing what he knows. Eternal separation. Eternally dead, spiritually dead for all of eternity. See, what Adam and Eve wanted was to be in the know. We wanted to be in the know. Now, I don't know that we're too far from that. I'm not sure that you and I are too far from wanting to, to be in the know. I mean, that's the reason why we watch the news, right? We want to be informed. We want to be in the know. So we watch the television, we scroll through our devices, we read the newspaper, all so that you and I could be in the know. No, we wanna be informed, we wanna know what's happening in the world, but here's the reality. I read this great article, it was actually published in 95. 1995, Harvard, Harvard Business Review article, and here's what that article said. The news can no longer be trusted. 
And this is nothing new. This is 95. And here's what the, the writer is, is talking about. Is that the success of the media is what? Viewers. And so in order to gain more viewers, we got to create more drama. If we create more drama, people are drawn to drama. They want to be in the know. So what happens? We create drama, we get more viewers. And then everybody's scrambling to try to create more drama to continue this idea of more viewers. And so what we're doing when we're attempting to be in the know is nothing more than scrolling through, watching a media soap opera filled with drama. You know, I think there was probably one day, this is kind of sad, right? Because I think there was one day when, when I could turn on the TV and I could read the news and it was actually factual. It was actually news. I could be informed, I could be in the know and it was actually accurate. Imagine those days. Wow. Here's another way that we want to be in the know. Maybe you lean in when you hear the words, hey, did you know? Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about what so-and-so did the other day? See, we endure gossip because we want to be in the know. And we gossip because we want everybody else to know that we're in the know. Isn't that right? We endure it because well, we, want to, we want to be in the know. We gossip because we want to be in the know and then we, we spread the gossip because we want everybody else in our circles to know, hey, but I'm in the know. I know about things. You know, it's interesting, when I was transitioning into being the pastor, um, I'd asked several different people, hey, what's gonna be my biggest challenge? You know what they said? You can't trust anyone. Even good people. You wanna know why? Because they wanna be in the know. Oh, but the pastor said. Oh, but oh, I, that's, not what he, that's not what I heard. And all of a sudden, here we do, we, we spread all of this stuff, and then what happens? Then we fight amongst ourselves because we believe that somehow or another we're the enemy when really the enemy is the one who tempted Adam and Eve in the beginning with the knowledge of good and evil. See how all this comes together? Here's another way that we want to be in the know. Maybe it's the future, end times. Whew. The end times, we wanna know. When's the end times? When's the end coming? Here's the reality, right? We know that it's coming because God's word says that it's coming. And he, he hadn't been disproven yet. So guess what? It's gonna happen. But it's not for you or for me to know when. So we've had plenty of people who come and go and forecast the end times. I've got uh, a great friends um, who have what I would consider insight into uh, what that's gonna look like from the word. They study the word and this is what they specialize in. And I even believe that there's people that God is raising up to prepare us for those days. Those days are coming. We know that they're coming. Just watch the fake news. It's funny. Sorry. Couldn't help myself. But it's coming. It's coming. But it's not for us to know when. In fact, Jesus even says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He says, but concerning that day, my return, it says, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. Hear this, not even the sun. Not even the Son, but the Father only. 
the Father only. Maybe you've heard uh, of, of the game, um, Would You Rather? Have you ever, anybody ever heard of that game? Would You Rather? Y'all heard of that? It's a f- kind of fun game. We play it all the t- time at, at the dinner table. So, so he, here's kind of the, the, the one that I've been thinking about this week. Would you rather know when you're gonna die or would you rather know how you're gonna die? Think about it. But see, while that's kind of fun to think about, kind of morbid, really, but it's kind of fun to think about, um, the way you answer it doesn't really matter. The way you answer it doesn't really matter because if, if I know the day of my death, I lose the, the mystery and the appreciation of the present. If I know how I'm gonna die, I'm either gonna live in fear of when it's coming or I'm just gonna live like it doesn't matter. Either way, we miss out on the limited nature of, of the unknown. We miss out on the beauty of understanding what David reminds us that our days are measured. There's beauty in the fact that you and I, our days are measured so that we can appreciate the present, we can appreciate the moments of which we are with our loved ones and the people that we love and care about. Our days are numbered. Maybe it's not the end, maybe it's knowing what to do in the future. Maybe right now you're standing at a crossroads in your life going, gosh, if I only knew what was gonna happen on the other side of this door, I would know which one to walk through. Maybe that's you, maybe it's a job. God, I just, I, I don't know what's on the other side of that door. Should I go through A, should I go through B? And you're standing at this crossroads and you're like, if I just knew. But you know what's funny? Actually, it's not funny, it's sad. Um, Adam and Eve knew the results of their decision before they ever chose to take a bite out of that forbidden fruit. Ever think about that? God had already told them, hey, you got one job. Don't eat from this particular tree because if you do, what will happen? You will die. See, even if we knew the future, even if you and I knew the future, we'd still blow it. Adam and Eve tell us that. We know right out of the gate that even if you knew what was behind that door, you would blow it. But here's the beautiful part of all this. God's grace, because even after they blow it, knowing good and well what's coming, death, not physical death, we're talking about spiritual death, eternal spiritual separation from God. They know what's coming, they walk through the door, they experience the consequences on the other side, but guess what? Because God knows, because he's omniscient, he knows what they're gonna do, he's already got a game plan. He already has his grace ready to hand it away, to give it away. In Genesis chapter three, he promises the Savior. He says, hey, there's gonna be a day where I'm gonna put an end to the sin and death of this world. I'm gonna reverse this curse. I'm gonna crush the head of the serpent. I'm gonna make all things right on heaven and on earth. God is omniscient. He knows everything, and when you and I mess it up, he stands ready to clean up our mess because he knows it all. There's nothing that he does not know. There's not a decision that you made 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, yesterday that God is not intimately aware of. He knows your circumstances right now. And by the way, he knows what's gonna happen to you in the next 30 minutes. He knows that the Chiefs are gonna win tonight. He knows what's gonna happen to you tomorrow. 
in 10 years, in 50 years, college students, he knows what you're, he, he already has your job planned out for you. He has the people in your life ready to be there. He's got your church that you're gonna connect with. He's got your small group. He's already got people ready to rally around you. When you just lost your job, guess what? He knew that. He's ready, ready to support you, ready to walk through it with you. No matter where you find yourself, because God is all-knowing, he is standing right, ready, eager to walk, it through, to walk with you through it. Because God is omniscient. You can trust that he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he's with you. Isn't that great? Isn't it great that you don't have to be in the know? See, this morning, you and I don't have to be in the know. We just have to walk in the knowledge of him who is in the know, and we trust our lives to him. That's great. That is a great gift for you and me who are limited beings this morning. We don't have to be in the know. We just have to walk in the knowledge of him who invites us to his table to get to know him and to enjoy him and trust that on the other side of the door, he's gonna take care of the rest. Isn't that a great truth this morning? Let's pray. Father, we love you. So grateful for you, grateful for the gift that we have in you, grateful for Jesus. I'm so grateful that you know all things I'm reminded from Paul's writing in Ephesians that says, before the foundation of the world, Father, you saw us, you chose us to be your own, you invited us into your family, you call us your beloved. God, before we ever blew it, before we ever made a mistake, before there were poor decisions that we made, Father, you knew it all together And Father, you have provided your son to remind us that there's nothing that we can do to outrun your love and outrun your grace. God, thank you for that truth this morning. Thank you for your love this morning. Thank you that your omniscience reminds us that we don't have to be in the know. But God, we can trust you who is in the know who knows all things and who sees us, knows us, loves us, and is with us no matter what. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.